Uh, I'm going to touch on some things today that you may not like. It may get under your skin. It may, uh, it may really upset you. But I trust that we look at God's Word as it's presented and get me, I pray, get me out of the way that uh, the Holy Spirit will speak to you in such a way that we understand biblical manhood. You know, it's, we, we uh, complain today, I, I, people complain today about um, where are the men in the church? What's happening to the men in the church? I've got a number of, of reasons why I it, could talk to you about that, but that not, not here. But we have, the church has uh, been guilty in a sense of emasculating men to the point where men are uncomfortable in church because it's not really manly. We, we, uh, we sing the, the songs that we sing. I love As the Deer Panteth After Water. It's a beautiful song. But that's not a song that strikes a chord in the hearts of men. And so we're going to look this morning at, at some things that, uh, that may be a little unsettling. But I ask you a question, and this rhetor- is rhetorical, you don't have to answer it uh, out loud, but no, I'm going to change that. I want to ask you, and I want you to respond uh, with short, a short answer, what do you believe, and ladies, you chime in here too, what do you believe is biblical manhood? Tell me about that. You can, you can, you can say, what is biblical manhood? If you want to get out of here by a quarter to 12, you've got to answer. <laughs> Willing to die for your wife. Yeah. I'm sorry? Protect your family. Protect your fa- Did you look at my notes? <laughs> Protect your family. Willing to die for your wife. What else? Humble yourself daily in the church. Humble. Is that in the... In the- okay. Yeah, yeah. Humble yourself daily. What else? Love her like Christ loved the church. Do you say amen to that, Glenda? You want me to get you a man? I am the doctor of love. One more. Leading your family to walk with Christ. Excellent, excellent, excellent answers. In the postmodern world, few topics invite as much controversy as discussions about gender. Adding a religious dimension makes the concept even more distorted and, and emotional. Some of what the Bible says about men and women, how they relate, and what God's expectations are for them may run contrary to people's preferences. And those ideas conflict with our culture, our upbringing, the opinions of our peers, CNN. I mean, everything is, is, can run contrary because of what we feel biblical manhood is. I was raised in a home where, uh, although they were alcoholics, the men in the family were... were we call them manly men. 
They made manly noises and manly smells. They were men's men. Uh, it wasn't a weak need bone in any of their bodies. Now, they didn't live a Christ-like manliness, but it still was a, a representation of what real men were. They went off to war. They fought the war. They came home. They worked uh, all the overtime they could work so they could pay for that mortgage so they could raise their kids so mom could stay home and, and be uh, the things that she needed to be as a, as a, uh, a housewife. And yet the biblical definition, uh, the definition of biblical manhood is exactly that. Biblical manhood is biblical. Even within Christianity, there's significant debate over the best way to apply the Bible's concepts to manhood, to how to live out the unique God-given role as a man. Not, not just a husband, but as a man. So we were men before we were anything else. Biblical manhood can be boiled down, I believe, to five, five basic things. The first is humility before God. Somebody said that. Control of his appetites. Protecting the family, providing for the family. And the last thing, leading the family. Men who fail to meet these expectations are not behaving as men. Some good examples of biblical manhood are found in, in, uh, in Daniel and Caleb and Joshua, David, uh, uh, Paul, and certainly Jesus Christ. So let's talk about that first, the, the first thing, humility before God. Men and women are created in the image of God, and this is something that no other creature can claim. Each and every one of us was made in the image of God. Of God. It says so in Genesis 1 26 through 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Argue all you want about the differences that we've found in DNA and the differences that we've found in, in some other uh, scientific evidence that they throw our way. But the Bible says He created man and woman. And that makes every single human being valuable and worthy of respect. Yet contrary to current thought, men and women are not identical. There's an organization called APATH, it's APATH.org, and they recognize 63 different genders, 63 different genders, and their tagline is, one path, many destinations. So it's even to the place of, today, you feel like a woman, tomorrow, you feel like a man. Next week, you don't feel like either of them. You're something else. But you have 61 choices apart from the two that you've rejected to choose what you want to be according to this organization. And you say, John, that, that, is, that is goofy. Yeah. But there are people who are, who are 
believing this, educators, men and women who are brilliant, have brilliant minds, who have spent their lifetime learning, and they come back to the university and they fill our kids' heads with this kind of stuff. Now, this is, to, to me, and to Scripture, we are biologically, psychologically, emotionally distinct. You come to our house in any, on any given day of the week, and you will see that there is a woman living there loud and proud. And there is a man living there making hairy-legged noises like most men do. We don't have 63. We have two. And we have eight grandkids. Five of them are beautiful, spectacular women, girls, girly girls, and they can shoot. <laughs> and we have three guys, three, three, three guys who are young men. And I have a grandson-to-be that's a young man. He's a Marine and a grandson that's in the Air Force. We've got manly men. And I've got these two little grands, a little girl that's eight, nine months old, seven, okay. She acts like she's 13. But, but, but she is going to be a wonderful little girl. Why? She's got wonderful women modeling a Christ-like woman's life for them. And a, a father and a grandfather and uncles and a great-grandfather and a grandpa who are modeling what it means to be a godly man. And this isn't in any sense a bad thing. God called his, or, original, uh, creation, God called his original creation, which included distinct genders, very good. Look at what Genesis one thirty one says. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He looked at man, and he looked at woman, and he said, they are very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. The second thing, control appetites. Biblical manhood has to include a godly view of women. We can sometimes have a very distorted view of what a woman is. Abuse of women is rampant today in both marriage and relationships in general. And abuse isn't just beating them. Abuse is forbidding education. Abuse is any kind of physical, emotional, mental, and sexual uh, uh, abuse. It's denying civil rights. It's desertion. And you can check out of a marriage, guys, without ever leaving the home. And you can be a deserter. All of these are violations of the image of God. Uh, and, and so too are attitudes that ignore meaningful differences between men and women and even try to erase the gender role. Critically note those things that Scripture does not include as part of biblical manhood. Did we get that clip, Matt? I want to I show you a clip of what I'm talking about. This is very, very, very serious. Pay close attention. 
Because we may learn something. Can I have the lights? The little firm with her and show her who's boss. There's one thing I don't want you to forget, Martin. I am the king in my castle. The king, Norton. I rule my kingdom. Alice is just a mere peasant girl. Just a servant to do my bidding. I snap my fingers and she jumps. I'm the king. The king of my castle. I'm just like Richard the Lionhearted. I rule with an iron hand. Oh, you're telling her out. It's all right. Have some more thread around here. Oh, hiya, sweetheart. Hiya, Ralph. Hey, that's a mighty friendly way to talk to a peasant. <laughs> What's this peasant stuff? I'll tell you what it is, Alice. He's got something to tell you, and you better listen, because he's king of the castle, and you want to think about a servant. <laughs> Go ahead, snap your fingers, Ralph. I'm dying to see a joke. <laughs> Don't forget, you are dealing with Richard the Lionhearted, who rules with an iron hand. Oh, Hello, you shut up. There is something you wanted to tell me, isn't there? Almighty King of the Castle? <laughs> Go ahead. Rule with an iron hand. Come on, Ralph. Tell me. The peasants have a right to know. You think I won't tell you? You think I won't tell you? Is that what you think that I won't tell you? That's right, oh, Richard the Chicken-Hearted. <laughs> Just for that. I won't tell you. <laughs> Richard, the Men are not called to be tyrants. They're not to, uh, uh, nor are they instructed to be cowed and weak-kneed toward their families. We tease. In my family, I always have the last word. Always. And you know what that is? Yes, dear. <laughs> Preach it, Keith. <laughs> men are, are called on, nor are men called on to enforce in any sense the biblical ideals of womanhood in their wives. They're not to enforce it. Wives get their marching orders from God, not from man. Now, you can offer suggestions. When asked for advice, give it. And guys, nine out of ten times, and this is, this is from 50 years of being married to this kind of woman, guys, she asks for your advice, but she's not going to take it. And that's okay. So if you're a typical guy like me, you'll say, she says, John, I want you to give me your opinion. No, you don't. You don't want my opinion. I want your opinion. If I didn't want your opinion, I wouldn't ask for your opinion. Give me your opinion. And I gave her my opinion, and she says, that is dumb. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Where in the world did you get that? So I say, you didn't want my opinion. Well, you know, humility and self-control and protection and provision and leadership are man's responsibilities 
and men are accountable for spiritual leadership within their families, yet each person is ultimately accountable to God for his or her own life. I do not have to stand before God and, and, and justify how my wife led her life. I will stand before God in how I treated her. I will stand before God in how I have shepherded this flock. But I am not responsible for the choices that you make. You are responsible for that. You are accountable to that. The proper perspective for this leadership comes from Ephesians 5, 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives. Agapeo. Agapao, that Christ-like, that sacrificial, no strings attached, Christ to the cross kind of love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she would be holy and blameless. Hmm. So husbands ought to love, also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. So the goal of every believer's life is to become more and more Christ-like. I become Christ-like by leading and living my life according to him into, to, my, to my wife. Men in their God-given, for men, in their God-given role uh, means leading and loving their wives in the same way Christ loved the church, sacrificially, through service, in selfless love. That's how we as men are to love our wives. You say, well, I don't have a wife, so this isn't for me. Uh, yeah, it is. You guys that aren't married, you need to still treat women with this kind of, of respect and, and I'd say passion. Not of a physical kind, but a, an emotional, spiritual passion to be a leader of, of women in your life. Your daughters, your nieces, cousins close friends. The fundamental, uh, just as, as, as the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal, yet serve different roles, so too men and women are separate but equal in value, in spiritual worth, but they have different roles to play. Because you're a woman, that does not uh, diminish your importance to God. You have a different role. You're not, you're not something that is, like Ralph said, snap my fingers and see how high she'll jump. Uh, that doesn't last long at all. The fundamental requirement for biblical manhood is a proper relationship with God. Micah 6, 7, and you wouldn't think that this is that kind of a verse, but, but it is. Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Biblical manhood is a proper relationship with God. 
<clears throat> this, this informs and empowers every other responsibility that man has in his life. Humility means to acknowledge the, an acknowledgement of, of his imperfection. Acceptance of Christ for salvation. A, continually, a continual sense of dependence upon God. And a godly man will study and learn and understand the will of God through the word. However, the Bible does not automatically make man's life biblically sound. I can't take the Bible and wave it around and now, presto changeo, I am a biblical man. I may have knowledge, but until I apply the truths in the word of God, I am just that, a man, not a biblical man. So, that being said, knowing what God wants is only the first step because biblical manhood requires submission to that knowledge. So, so we men are called to control our urges and our appetites. We're, we're to be relying on God to overcome temptations. Men, according to the Bible, are not to twist the Scripture in order to get their own way or to match their own preferences. Instead, they're to follow God's commands instead of their own urges. This includes the other requirement of Bibli- another requirement of biblical manhood, which can be difficult to pl- apply in a humble way, protecting the family. That's the third thing. This may mean physical protection up to and including laying down his life for his wife. Years ago, several years ago, a number of years ago, I taught ethics uh, at Highland Community College. And one of the things that, that kept occurring was uh, this, this idea of, of uh, l- taking someone's life is always wrong. Life-taking of any sort is always wrong. And the point is that we had some, we had some kids in there that, that were... Uh, they, did, they did have a, a uh, uh, biblical background. They had a they had a church background, and so I say, you know, your 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 family is is tied up, and a bad guy is ready to shoot them down if you don't. Well, not 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 even if you don't. It's they were they were this bad guy was going to take their life. You had the opportunity because you had you had hidden uh, a weapon underneath the couch cushion, and you could have gotten to that and taken the life of that man. Would you do it? Ten ten kids in this class, all under the age of twenty one. Nine of them said no, they would not. And I said, how in the world can you say that? You, you've, you've got this, this a, a wife or a husband, you have these children, they, these, these are your kids, and you'd allow them to take their lives? Why? How could, you, how could you rationalize that? Because, John, if I took their life, that meant that they would no, never have a chance to receive Christ as their Savior. So I would rather my family be annihilated and me too knowing that I wouldn't be the one to cause them to go into a Christless eternity because I know where my family's going to be 
And so you, you look and, and, and scratch your head and maybe some buy into that, but I believe that the Scripture is very clear that we are to protect our family. Nehemiah 4, 13 through, 14, 13 through 14 says, Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords and spears and bows. And when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Here's what Nehemiah said. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. It's a command. That's in the Word of God. And we are to protect our family. In the Bible, men are called to fight to protect their wives and kids. Women are never called to do the same thing for their husbands. I had a wife that hated guns. <laughs> In our family. Can you feature that? I didn't have a wife. I had my wife. <clears throat> hated guns. Didn't even want to talk about guns. And she'd been around guns since I married her. And we had a discussion. We were going somewhere, and I said, okay... You have a gun in your purse. I wouldn't have a gun in my purse. Let's say I put a gun in your purse. You wouldn't put a gun in my purse. Well, I was sneaky and I put a gun in your purse. The grandchildren are at a place where a bad guy is going to kill them. And you know, because you looked in your purse, that I put the gun there. Would you just let them die? She became a gun person. She's also a very, very good shot. She is willing to protect her family, to protect me if I need it. And that's, that's how we should do it. But God never called our wives to be the protectors of our family. This also involves spiritual protection. Consider Eve for a minute. Eve was uh, uh, consider, Eve, Eve sinned first, but Adam was blamed for failing to lead her. Genesis three eleven and seventeen says, <clears throat> and he said, "Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I command you not to eat?" He's saying this to Eve. Then to Adam he said, "Because you have listened to the voice of your wife." And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. That was the curse. For Eve, the curse was she would give birth. She would have pain in giving birth. And ladies, you know that that's not a real comfortable option. It hurts to have kids physically, and when they become teenagers and they're girls, it hurts even worse. <laughs> Men are instructed to honor their wives as a weaker vessel, and that's not a, deri- a, 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 a term of derision. It's not that you are less because you're a woman. First Peter 3, 7 says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. The phrase weaker vessel in context evokes something precious, something expensive, 
and something very valuable. Protecting one's spouse and family from harm, both spiritual and physical, should be a natural instinct for Christian men. The fourth thing, providing for your family. Obviously, this can take different forms, and particular circumstances can change who contributes to the family finances. You know, unemployment, illness, injury, and so forth are circumstances, not deliberate arrangements. Adam's punishment at the fall was increased pain in his primary responsibility within the family, and that was to be a provider. 1 Timothy 5, 8, and 9 says, But if anyone does not provide, and he's ta- Tim- Timothy's talking to men, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. This passage describes support for widows, but not widowers. It's really hard for a widow to get a job back in Bible, in Bible times. We have few women in the Bible that, that, that worked. One was Lydia. You remember Lydia? She was the, she was the spearhead of the, of the church of Philippi. And uh, the church of Philippi was built around her leadership. But when men were, were brought in and converted, she relinquished that control and that power and let the men rule the church. But she was a very successful businesswoman. She was a seller of, of, uh, of uh, purple clothing. And purple was uh, a color of royalty, and, and uh, she was very effective in that. Repeatedly, the Bible calls on men to provide and, and for women to care for the home. It's separate but equal. The last thing, leading the family. This requirement originates even before the fall where Adam and Eve shared equality in differing responsibilities. Romans 12, 4-5 says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It's also seen in, in uh, Adam's, Adam gave Eve her name. Genesis 2.23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And woman, in that, in that, in that uh, sense, we get that word, we get the word Eve. She, this was a, an act which symbolized authority. And, and as already referenced, Christ has to be the model for this kind of leadership. One of the reasons that that a woman will take her husband's name is that she is agreeing to submit to her authority, to his authority, as the leader, physical and spiritual leader of the family. A man called to lead through love, through service, and through sacrifice is a Christian man. And this is not a domineering leadership or repressive arrogance. Male leadership in the home and in the church is meant to reflect the relationship between man and Christ. These principles of biblical manhood are easier to understand than to apply. (laughs) Our fallen nature leads us to resist God's will even when we don't reject it outright. Biblical manhood is particularly important, however, 
as a fundamental part of living out God's commands. There's nothing manly or worthwhile or commendable about a man who shirks his responsibilities. Nor is there anything admirable about a society that despises the characteristics of a godly man. Men, you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be called uh, misogynists. You're going to be called uh, uh, control freaks. You're going to be called all sorts of things because you've taken up the mantle of biblical manhood in your family. And the world doesn't like that. They despise the characteristics of a godly man. What is a godly man? It's a man who has humility before his God. He's able to control his appetites. He protects his family. He provides for his family. And he's the leader of the family. Let's pray. Father, I know that uh, uh, from the world's perspective, this is not a comfortable message. In fact, some would say that this has nothing to do with God. In fact, it's an ungodly message. Yet we know from your word that we as men have a responsibility that is given directly from God to us. We know that our our wives, the women in our life, have a God-given role as well. Help us, Lord, as men to keep our women, uh, to honor our our wives, honor our women, honor our, our, our daughters, our granddaughters. Help us to be honorable as we demonstrate godly manhood to our sons and grandsons. Lord, may we have a desire to lift you up, not put a woman or wife on a pedestal, but Lord, we can honor her because of the giftedness that you've given her. Help us, Lord, to remain faithful to you, faithful to your word, and faithful, Lord, to our wife in our church. Lord, we love you and ask that you would uh, continue to strengthen us. And if there's one here today, Lord, that does not know you as Savior, that has never made that, that stand for Christ, Lord, may this be the day that they'd say, yes, I don't understand it, but I ask you to come into my life and save me from my sins, Lord Jesus. I believe you died on that cross in my place just for me. So, Lord, I receive you and I thank you. Lord, I I know that I will, because of my faith, I will live with you forever in heaven. So come, Lord Jesus, save me. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me. Come, Jehovah God, and lead me. I ask this in your son's precious name and for his sake. Amen.